So here are the usual two cohorts, myself and Daniel Paulson, and uh, we're joined by Lucas Rockward, and we're going to be talking all things breathing and see where this one goes. And uh, yeah, this is going to be one for the nerds, and this is going to be one for the yoga instructors, and um, it's going to be an interesting conversation, Lucas. Just a little bit of background with you and how, how you got into breathing in terms of, I know you've been teaching yoga, but in terms of looking at breathing from a different dimension. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me here, Patrick. Great to reconnect after all these years. I got both your books up on my shelf here, so great to, great to chat with you. I started uh, practicing yoga in 2002 in New York City. And I went to yoga asana classes, which is still a big part of what I do, probably the majority of what I do. And right away in yoga classes, every single yoga teacher kept telling me to breathe slowly and breathe deeply. And, you know, that sounds good. It's kind of like when you're trying to lose weight and they tell you to like exercise more and eat less, or when you're trying to save money and they are trying to, you know, put together a retirement account and they say like, you know, spend less and earn more. It's like, oh, okay. Like, yes, that sounds good. But what the heck does that mean? And I really couldn't get any answers. And every single yoga teacher I talked to, I was in New York City at the time, every single teacher I talked to, every time I talked to them about the breath, they would be so adamant. Yes, yoga is breath. Without breath, there's no yoga. Breath is life. Prana is life. Prana is the most important thing. Breathing is the most important thing. It's like, great. Now tell me something. And that was as far as they could go. They couldn't tell me what deep meant. They couldn't tell me what slow meant. They would throw some practices at me and every practice was meant to relieve stress and improve health and lengthen your life. I got hyperbolic pretty quickly and I really just never lost my interest in it because it definitely, I definitely felt it viscerally. I knew that it was effective, but I really wanted to know more in the same way, you know, like with food or like with other things you want to understand on a deeper level. And unfortunately it took me a really long time back then in 2002, 2003, there wasn't published literature online. There wasn't, you know, medical journals, there wasn't access to, you know, your book wasn't out yet. So there wasn't all these great resources out there. And so it took quite a long time, but I was fortunate uh, by 2003 to 2004, I got involved with a yoga teacher who was really obsessed with breath. And he had a teacher from India who was, had been teaching breath for a long time. And so even though I didn't learn the science of breathing till quite a bit later, at least I got really indoctrinated into some very specific methodologies. But it was still, it, it still felt like throwing things at the wall as it just felt like here's a practice, here's a practice. These are all mind body integration. Okay, but like, why and for who? And it was all very opaque in the yoga world. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but a lot of the practices are, are kind of like behind the, the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, you need permission to get these secret practices and your teacher is supposed to give them to you in the same way that, you know, your transcendental meditation teacher sort of gives you a secret mantra. It's all very secretive. And it sounds nice at first, but, you know, a couple of years into it, you, you kind of just think, hey, come on, can somebody just explain to me what we're doing here? Why do I have to wait years to get some 4-4 breathing practice? And little by little, I started to learn more. And not sure if you know this part of my story, but I actually got a lot deeper into breath by learning Buteco. And I, I worked with a guy named Jack Vigin, who has passed away, but he yes. was in, in, in Manila. He was in Asia, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he really was a very, very simple, straightforward teacher. He didn't have much of an interest in yoga at all. And mm. he really opened my eyes to a whole new world. And, and um, working with him, this is a long time ago, but working with him, he really helped me understand that there's this whole other 
world where yoga or where breathing is not esoteric. It's not restricted. He was teaching teenagers mostly. And uh, through my work with him, I started going a lot deeper and just sort of unpacking things. And as is always the case, it's kind of this fight for simplicity. You know, I went from and did you, by the way, ago. did Jack train yeah. you as a, was it for your own self or was it as yeah. an instructor? You did the instructor training, was it? Um, I suppose it was, I suppose it was, but I never taught Buteco and I've never, mm. uh, I've never lectured with Buteco, but yeah, I suppose he and I worked together individually for, for a number of months and, um, and yeah, it was, it, it was really, really helpful. And, you know, I went from doing, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of random throw everything at the wall breath work. Mm to doing what essentially is today about 10 minutes of breath work per day. It's just so much more effective because when you understand the, when you understand the principles, what you're actually doing with your nervous system, it's just a lot more straightforward. Mm. But uh, oddly, as we mentioned before we started recording here, the yoga community is still pretty confused about breathing and most of it still yeah. remains kind of shrouded in mystery. How, how receptive are they? Like we, we have our yoga instructors as well. We have yoga yeah. breathing too. Um, you have yoga breathing yeah. How receptive, um, like I see an enormous power here with yoga because of the reach of yoga to millions of people. I can only imagine all of the individual students who are going into yoga classes with various conditions. Those conditions can be directly helped even more so than what they're being today. If those breathing approaches were tailored during the asanas direct to the needs of those individuals, like this is an enormous power. Maybe tradition has held it back. You know, maybe it's time. I don't know. I don't know, you know. And that's why Oxygen Advantage, we set it up that it was different to Buteco. I still love Buteco. Um, but Oxygen Advantage was a technique not constrained by tradition so that it could yeah. evolve as time evolves because it's all evolving. And it's really time. The science is changing. You know, there's new stuff going coming out all the time. We yeah. learn more the more we work with individuals. And I suppose the more you learn is the more you work with individuals because you learn hands-on by your mistakes and also by your successes. Um, yeah. But I would love to, where do you see your, yes, coming back, sorry, Daniel, I'm, I'm cutting across here, but um, how receptive do you feel yoga is at the moment? Is it kind of getting there? Is it a little bit? You know, my experience has been that everyone has always been fascinated by the breath there's just been really poor teaching for a long time and there's no real good reason for it except that the 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 yoga community talks a good game in terms of lifestyle and meditation and food and all these things but it's really not there you know i i'm, I'm two decades in now and mostly it's poses and poses are amazing but without the breathing there i always say it's like remedial gymnastics if you don't do the breathing you know i, I like remedial gymnastics that's fun but you know i'm a middle-aged guy realistically we're not going to get too far with that but when you add in breathing suddenly it becomes a really interesting practice but it's just been something that's been lacking and if you trace it back to kind of modern masters whether it was Patabi Joyce or Iyengar or you know Shivananda did a better job of it every Shivananda class had a had a Kapalabhati practice had an alternate nostril practice but again it still wasn't really defined like what the heck are we doing what what's the point but at least it was integrated into the practice but in about the last 10 years, since all the modern masters have passed away, the yoga community has really just splintered and gone all over the place. And with the performative nature of social media, there's been an overemphasis on posing, which again, beautiful. I love it. It's interesting. But in terms of like actual mm. mind-body health benefits, it, it's only really interesting when you start to incorporate 
breathing. And so there's been a real resurgence, but it kind of came, it's kind of come back around through meditation. And so, you know, with the insert, with, with the growth of apps like Headspace and Calm and with a bunch of best-selling books like 10% Happier and these kinds of things, the interest in meditation just went through the roof. Mm. But unfortunately, the practice of meditation didn't catch up. And this is like the dirty little secret of the meditation industry. People don't actually meditate, not the people writing the books, not the people with the apps. And so well, it's what the same I with breathing, found... Lucas. I've seen every Tom, Dick, <laughs> yeah. and Harry jumping onto the breathing wagon. Yeah. And I well, think it's I... interesting, I think, in yeah. terms of the whole meditation. Meditation shouldn't be just seen as just your breath awareness on the mat. It should be absolutely seen that whatever you go through life, that you have that stillness of the mind and you are able to bring your attention fully into the present moment. But not everybody can do it. And I've seen many people and heard many people talk about it and they don't have the practical experience of it but they have the theoretical the theoretical knowledge it's like i suppose eating a banana or writing a phd in a banana you could you could write a phd <laughs> on how the banana tastes or you can eat the banana i'd sooner eat the banana than write the phd um it's definitely getting out there it's it's it is yeah daniel your take in sweden yoga is pretty pretty popular and yeah but i i have a, a question for for you lucas it's actually mm. similar i was in new york city 2003 started yoga as okay. well it's all these yeah. you know uh windows where people are doing their their positions out there so i got dragged into it and 100 percent women it's no wonder you were yeah yeah, yeah. There that was also that. that's what, <laughs> i think i think i have a i want to ask you that there are some positions that are really good for for me, some that were bad. So you go in, it's not good or bad. It's somewhere in between because some positions are not good. Same with breathing. Some were too excessive for me, mm -hmm. but you knew, I knew, I guess, intuitively that there were good, something was good, but so you have, that's, I think the problem. Some you feel good after, some you feel mm -hmm. bad. So you can't make up what's going on. So I think it's this, the lack of clarity or specificity on what the movements can do, what the breathing for certain people, like yeah. some people don't need up regulators, they need, they need down regulators. I think that's what's lacking the, the exact, if you have this condition, you do that. Yeah. So I don't know what your take is on that uh, as far as. Yeah, I completely agree. So that, I mean, the biggest challenge, you know, to loop back to what Patrick was saying earlier, there's a huge interest in breathing, but people still haven't really defined it. And so most people I meet in the yoga world, they're super excited about breathing. And I say, what are you doing? And all of them are doing controlled hyperventilation practices right before bed. And, you know, if that works for you, okay. You know, if you want to have a cup of coffee before bed, okay. But it's not, um, it's not what I would recommend. And from, uh, I mean, I get into all this nerdy stuff, track and sleep, and it doesn't work very well. You know, it's, it's not the best idea, but th this is what I mean. Everybody I talk to is doing controlled hyperventilation practices because you feel something, you know, you get tingles and you get buzzy and they're doing that right before bed. And um, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really make any sense. It's the same as like, I don't know having your biggest meal at midnight or something. You could do that, but you know, probably not the best idea. So that's what I still find is still just a lot of confusion. There's just not really a lot of clarity in terms of what the heck we're doing it. What, why are we doing it? What are we trying to do? Break world records? Or are we trying to balance our nervous system? And there really isn't a, a, a lot of people with clarity in between. And in terms of that hyperventilation, do some of the instructors who are doing that, do they feel that this is about oxygenating the body? 
I would say universally, universally, everyone's talking about oxygen all the time. The, the, if you drop into any yoga class anywhere in the world, you're, there's a nine out of 10 chance that somebody's going to say, you know, inhale that good oxygen, get rid of that bad carbon dioxide. You have no energy because you don't have enough oxygen. The misunderstanding of the basic biochemistry and physiology of breathing, it's so pervasive. I don't know if it will ever go. It's such, uh, I just stop even correcting people because it's so, it's so far gone. But um, yes, the general idea is that we're all walking around with oxygen debt and we just need to pump that thing in and, you know, things will get fixed. And, and um, you know, I, I also don't like to be the, you know, the nerdy science guy who wants to rain on everybody's parade. If they're having fun with that, you know, they, they can do that. But um, it's, it's very much in the zeitgeist right now is this idea that all of us are bad breathers, which means we have not enough oxygen. We're starving for oxygen as if we were on the top of Mount Everest or something. And we need to, we need to pump that breath to get, to get our oxygen levels up. So I'm the guy who pulls out the blood oximeter and, you know, shows people that, you know, that, that it's actually a CO2 game, not a non-oxygen game, but yeah, that's kind of the state of the nation at the moment. But, but mm. I think, I think that it, it makes sense when you do all these powerful breathing exercises because you, it's, you see it visually, you hear it and you think that, well, you can't be the opposite. You can't just sit there and be very like a, a, a silent breathing because then I'm not doing anything. So it's yeah. oh, there's something nice about that, Daniel. You can be yeah. doing it and nobody knows. Yeah, of course. But <laughs> it's very I powerful. Think it, I, I think, think it, it's I think it's that's give that me two employees. Give me yeah. the extra vert that comes in and shouting all the good stuff and telling them either this, that, and the other, or give me the guy that sits in the corner that does everything. <laughs> I'll go for the introvert any day of the week. Yeah. I think the subtlety is the key. And I agree with you, Daniel. Western society is looking for the extroverted technique, and the extroverted technique is big and bold and partly that's what's what's the reason that's taken off and i do agree with lucas you know there's there is a fundamental belief out there but i think it can be very harmful and there are individuals who will be intentionally breathing more air and the belief that more oxygen is getting delivered throughout the body when the opposite is true yeah. and where is that putting the autonomic nervous system you know it's going to be putting it into that increased sympathetic drive yeah. And people are already in increased sympathetic drive. There's enough stress out here that many of us, we don't need further stress. We actually need to be down-regulating. We need to be dampening the stress response and improving the parasympathetic drive. And that can be done through the breath and also sleep. You know, how many people are talking about nose breathing during sleep? I know when we started talking about it 23, 24 years ago, taping them out closed, now it's starting to catch on. Yeah. Um, and that also comes back to because your everyday breathing is going to influence your sleep. You know, this is where, again, I see the power of yoga in terms of the yoga instructor being able to bring their students. If that student is coming in with asthma, anxiety, high disorder, racing mind, mm. high stress, poor concentration, that the instructor can bring that student through these and help them directly with their condition and improve their overall quality of life. I would love to see the day. Yeah, completely agree. What What's your, Lucas, when you talk to people, what's your kind of three buzzwords? What, what, what is it that you try and convey? Because I think for me personally, I think it's somewhat of a marketing issue that if you get people in front of you and really talk to them and they get to experience certain things, they get it. But it's very difficult, I think, to convey it, uh, you know, um, and not be too square, so to speak. It was, but maybe mm, sure. it's what we're trying to do like, okay, if you need to slow down your breathing, 
or or activate your parasympathetic nervous system, do this. Or if you need to upregulate, do simulate high altitude training, whatever. Yeah. What do you do? What what is it that you you're trying to do when you meet somebody? Yeah, same thing. So I mean, I teach this very simple paradigm of water, whiskey, coffee, which is just a, a terminology that we came up just to help people understand that you know it's kind of like this idea: you walk into a, a bar and what do they have behind the counter? They have some neutral beverages, you know, some water, they have some caffeinated beverages and they have some alcoholic beverages. If you lump breathing into those categories, it's really pretty effective and it helps you understand how things work. And so that paradigm has been, uh, it's really been the most effective thing. I started teaching breathing like 15 years ago and I would teach these, you know, five day intensives in Thailand. People would fly in. It was part of teacher training courses. And I'd be diagrams and charts and, you know, breath retention and people would be so pumped and they'd never remember anything and they'd never go on to teach anything it was like some of my some of my least effective teaching and man i was into it i was really you know i was really putting my heart into it and i realized like it was just it's like you said there's a marketing problem it's just too complicated it's like it, it's it's very similar to food it's like people can't figure it out they're like i have no idea i'm just gonna drink bulletproof coffee because i have no idea so i'm just gonna like drink bulletproof coffee until three in the afternoon and whatever else happens that's it or like the keto thing right now they're just like i'm not sure carbs are bad and um I, I understand where people are coming from. It's just like, it's just too much. They've got kids and jobs and things to think about. This is one thing on their list. And it's just the yoga tradition, especially just makes it so complicated. It's just like, I don't know. I'm just going to sit in bed and breathe until my hands start tingling. And then you know, <laughs> fall over and see if I fall asleep. But we use this paradigm and it helps people understand appropriate use time of day. And uh, it also just helps you kind of to decipher because, you know, as Patrick mentioned, every day there's some new person teaching breathing and it almost sounds like there's some new breathing practice, but not really. All this stuff's hundred years old or more. And so understanding like, is, hey, this is just lost, a... Lucas. Yeah. No, yeah. Some of it got lost. Some of it got confused. The whole biochemical dimension has been completely, completely lost. lost. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that is for me was one of the most important what's water by the way is that when you're breathing slow and light is it that's the down regulator is it yeah yeah i mean it's just you know if you were to look at like heart math's coherent breath or mm. patricia gerbarg's stuff it's, it's basically four to six breaths per minute everything that mm. we use based on rate essentially and so you know half, half your half your resting rate twice the volume and so let's say you and i are hanging out probably 15 17 breaths per minute we'd cut that in half mm. and you know five six ish breaths per minute and double the volume and um yeah, it depends on the tradition. You and you might call it a coherent breath. I, I you know, I latched onto that for a while, and I was like, nobody understands that either. And so, you know, this idea of like water is the one that water really connected with people. Yeah. yeah. And the coffee yeah, one yeah. then is breath holes or something, is it? Anything. It's just controlled hyperventilation, essentially. Oh, hyperventilation. But we, okay. Yeah, yeah, but we do it really, really mild, and so we never teach more than three rounds of twenty. We we'll usually you use don't have people passing out because their blood oxygen saturation is going below fifty percent now. You know, I, uh, I've gotten like really boring as I've gotten older and it's not that I haven't done all this stuff myself, but I, I really react myself. So I've passed out myself in, in my, on my bed. I've given myself anxiety attacks. I've given myself splitting migraines. And so that's just N of one, but I have like a big audience and I, I can't really, you know, 3% of my clients get like tetany and, you know, anxiety. It's too much. It's, it's not, um, it's not worth it. And, you know, I used to really poo-poo the risks, but there's people dying all oh, the time. Jesus. There's a cold, cold water death just two weeks ago in the UK. Um, and I've heard everyone deaths I, from breathing too, by the way. Yeah, they're crazy. They're crazy. I just, you know, I, I, every single person I talk to who's doing this controlled hyperventilation thing, every single person knows they're not supposed to do it in water. 
and they all do it anyway, every yeah. single one of them. Yeah. And you know where they do it? They do it in their bathtub. And you know why they do it in their bathtub? Because nobody wants to hang out with you while you're underwater for five minutes holding your breath. It is the most boring thing ever. So they go in their bathtub, they position their head underneath the spigot to keep them underwater. It, it's just like, okay, there's not a lot of people dying, but like three or four a year, like for what? For what? For breathing? There's no, you know, it's not like, um, I so I don't do any of the crazy stuff. Oh, but it could be avoided um, yeah. and just so that people if you haven't heard about that it's because of the hyperventilation and then holding the breath underwater because one is hyperventilated so much carbon dioxide has been removed from the blood through the lungs but carbon dioxide is the alarm to breathe so you're holding your breath but you don't feel any sensation to breathe for such a long time and during that time your oxygen saturation is dropping and once your O2 goes below 50 percent you pass out there's no warning and it's underwater drowning. And I think it's absolutely terrible that it's crazy stuff. But that's what happens when information is just put out there and there's no constraint and there's no, and yeah, if you're long enough in the game and you're working hands-on with individuals, you start to learn mistakes and you do become more risk averse. And we're in the same space as that as well. Yeah. yeah. What about, uh... I, I, we're, we're looking at um, in the future companies like an almost like to bring it in real time. Not something you do before, like yoga is usually, you know, you're on lunchtime before at night. Don't give all our secrets away to Lucas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody thinks that's fine. But during the day, like, like, at, like actually doing something in, in real life situations. Not, mm -hmm. not, not in the yoga studio, not when you're training. How do you work with that to kind of, yeah, because it's always good to do something before or after, but how do you, yeah. how do you deal with a, a live stressor? Yeah, so I mean, our, our, our protocol couldn't, couldn't be more simple. Our, our like ideal protocol is someone's doing a morning practice, right? When they wake up, they're doing an afternoon practice at least once and an evening practice. And we say five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. But the reality is the morning practice is going to take like two minutes. Your afternoon practice is going to take two to four minutes. And your evening practice, that one could take five to 10 minutes. But um, that's really what we're looking at. So I do corporate consults and stuff with in your part of the world, actually in, in Ireland with Facebook and stuff like this. And I just teach people really, really simple stress management stuff, but essentially I'm teaching them either what I call water breath, which is like a coherent half paced double volume breath, maybe doing alternate nostril, usually not even getting that complex. And then I teach people how to knock themselves out at night, basically slowing their breath down to, we usually start with something mild, like a three breaths per minute triangle pattern with a simple retention at the top. But as people get more comfortable pretty quickly, they can slow their breath down to two breaths per minute or even one breath per minute. And that has a, just a really profound effect. And even the people who are kind of addicted to the tingly buzzy pass out on their bed situation, they seem to get more excited about this idea that they can self-soothe and that they can, you know, take some proactive control over their runaway nervous system, because even though they might not have acknowledged it at first, that's the real problem it feels good to you know get tingly and buzzy and uh, out of body and stuff like this but it's not really what most of us need most of the days how do you keep the boat how do you maintain motivation for them i mean i know it, it probably feels good but when you yep. do the hyperventilation you get these immediate effects and you feel yep. that something is going on of course yep. you feel slowing down but how do you yeah. keep them going after three weeks three months and so on 
Yeah. yeah, you know, I in, in terms of compliance, you know, this is the highest compliance I've ever had with anything that I've ever taught. And anyone who works in health and wellness, this is like, this is what on, on your bad days, this is what you this is what you stress over, you know, you just think like, my work is meaningless. No one does it. No one does my and so um, that's my whole thing is like, you know, what can I teach that people will actually do because I can sit here and pontificate about all kinds of, you know, stupid nerdy things that make me happy. But if it doesn't actually get applied to someone's life who cares so we really come back to simplicity and so the the small time commitment makes a huge difference the really just attaching it to very very specific uh, benefits so at night it's falling asleep during the day it's you know managing stress before and after meals is usually a big one because people have digestive problems and just having a a midday energy balance like a nervous system modulator during the day and then the morning waking up but um our, our the, the whole reason I put so much effort into this right now is because the compliance is so high of everything I teach. I really struggle to get people to follow through. And it's not because they're weak-willed or anything like that. They're just like me and you. We're just busy and you know it's hard to keep up with things long-term. But doing less more often, we found really, really valuable. And so you know that couple of minutes in the morning, couple of minutes in the afternoon, that evening practice. But if I'm being perfectly honest, Daniel, the one that people really follow through with is definitely our evening practices. Some of them we do supine, so we do them lying down in bed. And the compliance on that is definitely the highest. And I'm, I'm okay with that. If that's, all, if that's all I get from people, five minutes of breathing per day, it's a big deal. It adds up over time and it really compounds and the sleep benefits. And Patrick was mentioning, you know, the biggest breathing practice of your whole life is your sleep. So if you set that up right, that makes a big difference. So. And you use, do you have uh, measurement devices like the OR ring or whoop strap or anything like that? also for motivation but also to see progress because people are goal oriented they want to they want to you know feel yeah. better and see the progress you use any of that as well yeah you know i've i've i'm really I, i've never been like a techie gizmo guy but with all the quantified self stuff i've always been really into it so i used to have the old heart math one that went on your yeah, ear yeah, and yeah. i had all this all this crazy stuff and um, I kind of had a falling out with all the tech because I couldn't get anyone but myself interested. You know, I'd bring students in, I'd like strap all this heart rate monitors, all, no, nobody cared, but um, I've really been excited. I've been wearing a whoop band now for about a year and um, really pretty, pretty substantial changes just in my self-awareness. And I don't have an aura ring. I ordered one and it never came. So I don't know, I kind of gave up on it, but I, I should get one and try it. But um, I, what I do find is that it's a very specific type of person who reacts to those numbers. And it's not as many people as I would have thought. For me, it's just like, uh, it's like the best coach I could ever have. When I wake up and I've had, you know, my heart rate variability is low and my breathing rate's elevated. I am thinking about that all day long. I'm going to bed earlier. I'm trying to fix my food, all of these things, but not everyone reacts that way. So um, I'm not sure. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've given a, a couple of bands to some friends and family members and, you know, they were kind of hmm, about it. So. Um, I, I want to be more excited about it. And personally, I couldn't be more excited about it, but from a client perspective, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the future is. I think, I'm not sure. I hope it becomes to the point where people do nothing. Their phone just picks it up and you, we have the data. So maybe as a coach, you know, I could just say, Hey, just message it to me. Don't, you don't even have to read it. We can take a look at what's going on. But, um, at the moment, I still, th I, I think it's a little bit high friction for, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. But where, because, where, yep, go ahead, sorry, Patrick. Is it because people have information overload at the moment? And it's just one yeah. more thing to be tracking. Yeah, yeah it's pretty, it's pretty nerdy too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, just, just to understand your own respiratory rate, that takes some wrapping your head around to understand your heart rate variability. I mean, the math behind that, it's just like really, and then, you know, your number doesn't match with my number. How is that useful? You know, it's, it's really, um, it's really more of a rabbit hole than most people are willing to, to jump through. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and unfortunately, I mean, they're, they're trying, you know, Apple watch is trying and Aura is trying and whoop is trying, but it's still pretty, nerdy health geek stuff you know you kind of got to sit there and stare at it and think about okay I, and and i think for most people it's it's a bit much hmm. i think my prediction is that people will see it you know the early adopters they have it yeah. somebody will ask and so so it goes and i think uh, like apple watch and Oring are pretty prevalent right now i think within yeah. five to ten years you'll see if you can call it normal people wearing it like yeah, I think because it's be like a portable doctor almost, yeah. uh, but we'll see. And there's just an avalanche of products coming out to the market as well. Yeah. So, so I think that will that will help us because it's like an accountability part. Like it's like you said, almost like a coach. So yeah. uh, I I think it's it's good for motivation starting off, and maybe over time you don't really need it. But I think it's it's because breathing is so subtle it could be good for a lot of people to have those measurement devices, but it could also be a stressor because then you yeah. see. So, but again, I think even it's, it's better to deal with the problems than just kind of ignore them long run anyways. But there is, there is a problem for some people because they, they want to produce and have better sleep. And that's, you can't really do that. You can't really try to get better sleep that way. So, so, but I think the tech devices are here to stay and really for sure through. yeah yeah uh, but what type of clients do you normally like are those from the yoga community or a mix of elite people company people? yeah i mean i would say our typical student is atypical so like i just finished a class and we'll have people from you know like today we had like probably 17 different countries and our youngest person today was probably in their late 20s and the oldest was probably 74 75 something like that um still have mostly women. So probably 75% women, 80% women. Um, but depends, depends. The breathing stuff attracts more, more men. Uh, but people are from all over the place. I would say definitely not like your stereotypical yoga people. Uh, some of them have a background in yoga, but mostly I would call them health seekers. So they're the people who want to live well and live long, not win awards or run off to an ashram. And so very often they're career professionals, family people who are trying to live their best life a long time. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, as far as how do you, I know you with yoga and movement, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you kind of, because I mean, you can stack this with, yep. with cold, heat, mm -hmm. music and other to make breathing a deeper experience. How do you, yeah. do you, how do you work with like, I would say yoga is one, but movement and breathing, how, how do you fuse them together? Yeah, so um, I'm a huge fan of cold shock therapy, heat shock therapy, but I don't do, I don't, I don't teach any of that, and I don't integrate any of that into breath work. I know that these have been fused in a lot of different practices, and I think it's, you know, it's cool. It creates a, a, a more experience, but I don't really, for, for me, they're completely separate, and so I don't personally combine them at all. I certainly used to. I used to have a hot yoga studio and stuff like that, but I don't do any of that stuff anymore. And a huge, huge fan. I mean, there's such great benefits to both heat and cold therapy, but I just don't. The 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 combination of these things, I feel like, is where people start drowning themselves in their bathtubs. <laughs> That's why I don't do these things. Um, 
But in terms of movement, you know, re really we set up our, we, we start off our, our yoga classes with a very, very light stimulating practice, classic yoga practice called Kapalabhati breathing breath of fire, very simple practice. And then in our classes, in our vinyasa flow classes, we really focus on four, four breathing with ujjayi sounds. So, you know, slight constriction of your glottis. Stop breathing in for four and out for four, is it? Or? Yeah. So the, what we're essentially aiming for is around five to six breaths per minute. And mm -hmm. what we're looking for is about five breaths per pose. So what you're looking for is basically a minute per pose, five rounds of breathing per pose, physical stress combined with controlled breath. And that's where you get like a very, very unique and safe nervous system training experience. Um, and by safe, I mean, um, you know, Jack used to have me doing these apnea walks and these were not safe, you know, he, it was mean, you know, he'd make me do like, I don't know, hundred paces holding my breath, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, my, my whole uh, body's tingling and stuff right. like this. <laughs> no, they're fine. Honestly. The no, no, I'm sure, I'm, I'm the sure they are. The apnea walks are fine. It's when no, you no, hyperventilate sure that... and then if you were to do it, it's yeah. a different story. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's a it's a different thing because I'm leading a one hour class, so I can't I can't be doing apnea walks and things like this. But oh, you it, can. <laughs> <laughs> but so we would. Um, so our focus is really on that physical stress combined with a, a moderated modulated breathing. So twice the volume, half the rate in a physically stressful situation, but not. It's always like a zone two or less heart rate, which again is just stacking nerdy stuff upon nerdy stuff. But you know, in our typical class, people are at a pretty mild, moderate heart rate, a place where they would naturally be able to nose breathe anyway. And then we add a little bit of physical exertion, whether that's a triangle pose or wheel pose or whatever it might be, but that's really our focus. And then we do also do deep stretching classes where we do use parasympathetic stimulating practices, which are very, very superific and uh, kind of knocks people out, but it helps to turn off stretch reflex and kind of puts people in a, in a state. Um, but it's nothing, it's still nothing aggressive. You know, we're still doing three breaths per minute. So it's nothing. Um, the, the, the challenge is as people get more kind of advanced with yoga, they're able to breathe so slowly that sometimes they breathe too slowly. So they come into class and they're breathing one breath per minute. And they're basically these sort of doughy zombies in the corner. And there's, there's a time and a place for that. But it, again, it really comes down to the yoga community, not really understanding what the heck is going on. So they're accidentally developing CO2 tolerance and competence of breathing. And, and then they're doing a yoga class. And they don't, they can't figure out why suddenly they have no energy in class because they're breathing one breath per minute, you know, they're just a blob in the corner. And so um, we try to have appropriate use. So depending mm. on which type of activity we're doing, we try to match the breath for that specific movement. Mm. And so a really slow class, yeah, okay, we'll do really slow breathing. Mm. But for, for most of our classes, it's actually faster rate than most people would think of breathing. Mm. Do, you, do you, when you do these classes, like do you also have uh, the hot yoga? So you combine movement, breathing and hot, like what's the, it sounds to me like you're, aim is usually down regulation at the end of, of the classes or is that for all the classes or just in general because if you combine heat and movement you get a little different response versus if you just do breathing per se only yeah you know it's it then it's part of the reason i stopped doing heated classes but i mean i stopped doing this very long time ago but um you, we, we couldn't really do effective breath control with the heat you just kind of had to let it go because when we had hot hot it was like 40 degrees celsius so yeah um we, we couldn't really 
And that heat elevates people's heart rate. You know, they're in like a zone three heart rate, sometimes even a little bit more depending on what they're doing. And so that was a big part of why I stopped using the heat and why I separated it. It just wasn't, it wasn't really safe or effective to use that much control with breath. So we use the ambient temperature and, uh, I wouldn't say that we're downregulating the vast majority of our like vinyasa flow classes. They're really, they fall under this category of a coherent breath. We call it a water breathing or just a balanced breath. And so we're really targeting that five breaths per minute rate with a slight restriction of your glottis. But with the applied challenge of physical stress, which is meant to be, a, it's, it's essentially like a staged lifestyle stress. And the analogy that we always give is, you know, you can, you can have your worst moment on the mat or off the mat. And if it happens off the mat, you're going to yell at your spouse. If it happens on the mat, you'll have kind of an uncomfortable triangle pose or something mm -hmm. like that. And so we're essentially simulating a lifestyle stress moment and then yeah. breathing in a way that's balanced, which for us, we define as around five-ish breaths per minute. Can we go a little bit deeper into that? So in terms of using either breathing or poses, we use... Um, you're stressing the individual and that's almost as developing their resilience but it's also developing their psychological resilience that if they do have stress in their everyday life regardless it's going to be a different stress to what they're experiencing on the mat but you're building up the resilience on the mat so they're better able to cope with what's going on outside the mat is that that's your take yeah yeah i think you know our 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 nervous system is pretty primal. And so, you know, the way that we respond to a fight with our spouse is not that much different than the way we respond to a homeless person jumping out at us. It's not that much different than, and so this simulated stressful situations, they work really well. They work really well. And, you know, you can, you can effectively train your nervous system this way is what I mean. And so if you're in a pose, like, like a full wheel pose, it's very uncomfortable. And if you're able to Keep your breath through your nose, slow, low, gentle, and at a rate of five, six breaths per minute. It really does carry over. And again, the yoga community knows this intuitively. You know, they, they but they'll they'll chalk it up to like esoteric stuff. You know, my, you know, my, my, I have this spiritual awakening. It's like, okay, maybe you did. I don't know, but here's what I do know. You know, you did a really, really hard thing, and you breathed as if you were cool, calm, and collected. And that was an hour, or that was 90 minutes. That's a long time. That's a lot of nervous system training. That's more nervous system training than most of us get in a month. And the other thing that I always say, which I think is really important, is that we're all going to have a best moment and a worst moment of the day. It, it's going to happen. Every day it's going to happen. And your worst moment might be a vendor calls, or it might be a staff quits, or it might be you lose some money, or I don't know what it is. But if you can engineer and you can stage your worst moment, then you have more control over these other lifestyle stuff that you cannot control. If you look at some of the most popular activities in the world, a lot of them are simulated battles, simulated dramas. Most popular movies are horribly violent. People go watch these sports games, which are basically staged gladiator stuff. We seem to want to do this. And so as you know, non-athletes, non-competitive people, you know, you go bury yourself in a video game or watch some crazy Hollywood movie, or you could figure out a way and it doesn't have to be yoga. You know, people do this with CrossFit and they do this with running. They do this with other I'm forms of training, happy yeah. walking. You know, the, the, the one that I'm really a fan of is swimming and I, I grew up swimming and I, I, I don't really have great access to a pool, but the swimmers are probably like real swimmers are, are like some of the best, like trained breathers 
outside mm. of the breathing community that I've ever met. Um, because built into that exercise is very, very rhythmic breath and you can't cheat. You know, it's a mm. breath every three strokes. It's a breath every five strokes. It's a whole length of the pool with no breath. It's fundamentally built into the activity. And so it's often overlooked, but oh, swimmers, okay. water polo players, they're, they're the breathers. They're, they're, yeah. they're great. That's, that's interesting because swimming, I guess, is, I guess the only sport more or less that where you mouth breathe during when you swim. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. have to, you have so, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you mouth breathe during, and they train a lot, so they're probably yeah. in the pool, elite swimmer, I don't know, three mm -hmm. hours a day. Can be, yeah. So, so, and it's tough most of the time. So you're mouth breathing, well, maybe not all because you do other stuff, but a lot of the time. Doesn't that carry over if they don't take care of that afterwards with functional breathing? It's, it's a little bit, because I don't, I don't know enough about swimming, but what's your take on that? You know, I'm a, I'm a yoga guy who does other sports. So I always hesitate to give any kind of like athletic performance advice, but um, I do plenty of other things. You know, I cycle and I run and these kinds of things, but I'm a yoga guy who does those things. So I don't know anything about like winning races or being a great athlete or anything like that. But what I do know anecdotally is that I feel really, really comfortable nose breathing in anything that's zone two or lower. And I feel like it's not necessarily safe or even appropriate to nose breathe in anything that's zone three or higher. Um, I'd love to be wrong about that. I'd love to learn more. But again, I'm not a sports coach. I'm not, uh, I've never helped, you know, athletes get a personal record or anything like that. But that's kind of my take. And so um, what that looks like practically is if someone's out there doing a slow jog, if someone's on a, a treadmill going relatively slow, if they're on a, a bike, for sure. I mean, I can go for a three hour bike ride and only nose breathe. Um, uh, but as soon as you get that heart rate pumping, which most swimmers who are training when they're doing when they're, you know, when they're doing stuff, a lot of them are in a, a zone three or higher. Swimming's hard. Um, yeah, my, my take is you have to mouth breathe. And I feel like if nose breathing was the right choice, there is nothing that professional athletes won't do to excel. And so I think you'd be seeing, you know, weightlifters with duct tape across their mouth. And I, yeah, I think, I think it would be there if that was the way for performance. But, but again, I'm just speculating. I'm not a, I'm not a sports performance guy. Yeah. No, our take with, with nose breathing is that it adds an extra training load. It puts yeah. resistance to the diaphragm. Sure. We don't want sprinting with the mouth closed. Um, yeah. It's too excruciating. So there shouldn't be anything uncomfortable. But yeah, I think what Daniel was saying as well, that you could have a swimmer in the pool who's doing all the right things. You know, the water is pressing up against them. Their head is underwater. Mm. They've got reduced volume breathing for a given intensity and duration of exercise. But the student, the swimmer, when they get out of the pool, they're not aware of this and they're walking down to shop with their mouth open they're sleeping with sure. their mouth open at night sure so the idea is that and swimming is the best sport in terms of breathing because it's the only sport which changes breathing patterns but we would love to see that knowledge going outside of the pool i think it's yeah. so important you know because then of course it's the person's breathing outside that's going to influence their breathing in the pool sure and if we have dysfunctional breathing outside the pool, we're going to have dysfunctional breathing in the pool. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and there are a lot of people with swimming who who's got who who's got asthma. So, so I think yeah, it's it's interesting. But mm. I do I do CrossFit, and it they yeah. have somewhat similar problem because it's so tough and so taxing that you go into mouth breathing very After, quickly yeah. and yeah. like swimming. So, and I think it's it's fine, but you have to compensate on the recovery side to yep. make sure you bounce back from these very high intensive workouts. So 
you don't float after the practice in it with mouth breathing and elevated heart rate yeah. and respiratory rate carry over to sleep. And then that becomes your new functional breathing pattern. So I think when you have and swimming, I know it's very tough. You have to, I think, maybe overcompensate in some mm. of these sports to really focus on the recovery. That's sure. that, that becomes almost like I was saying the name of the game to, to succeed long term. Mm. You have to, I think you have to focus while some other sports are not, they're all taxing on an elite level, but CrossFit and swimming could be, you know, really, really up there. So, sure. uh, and, and, and also, I guess if you, if you work all day, you have a stressful job, Same you, thing. Go, to the, yeah, you yeah, go, yeah. To, go over, yeah. you put stress on stress, and then you mouth breathe at night and snore, you never get to recover and you don't even know it. You don't even know. So I think there's, there is, um, I think this, this is where the gadgets like the war ring will help mm. you potentially to see that, okay, when, when you take time off or do green exercises, you bounce back. And that's maybe incentive to do, do even more, but, yeah, it, but, but yeah, but, but I think, I think you, in terms of your right, uh, that, that I also feel like a lot of people like the calming down effect. And that's probably because they live such a stressful life. If you didn't, yeah. you may, but ironically, they also like the hyperventilation because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you, you feel that you're actually doing something. Yeah. So I think this is like, you, you want to calm down, but you like the hyperventilation uh so yeah but um so i think it's i think the next couple of years with the, with these gadgets and biometric devices i think mm. it will be very interesting to see if breathing can become a lot more mainstream and a yeah. lot more where do you see it Lucas? yeah where do you see well i mean for, for me what i like about breathing why I get why I put so much time into it is because of the compliance and the reason you get compliance is because it's more predictable so I've spent a bunch of time meditating like a, a total of like 45 or 50 days of my life literally all day long locked in ashrams and things like this and that's really valuable it's also very unpredictable uh, there's good days there's bad days there's good sits you know the, the tradition that I do you do an hour at a time you don't move for an hour it's good sits and there's bad sits. And sometimes it's just miserable. And I've done these in multiple different countries. And I've been in meditation centers where people spin out. I mean, really like suicidal ideation, uh, running away from the ashram. I mean, it's, it's, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's, it, it really isn't. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's, it's way less predictable. It's really valuable meditation. But it's not one thing, and it's very difficult to pinpoint. If the three of us all sat for an hour right now, we'd have very, very different experiences. If the three of us sat for 15 minutes and we all did whatever we did, you know, maybe we did control pauses repeatedly, or maybe we did apnea walks, or maybe we did uh, a box breathing practice, we'd have very, very similar, very, very similar experiences. Now, of course, there's levels. If somebody's brand new to a practice, a box breathing would be a little bit much, especially the retention at the bottom and these kinds of things. But once you're at a basic level of competency, which really just takes like about seven or eight days, it's not that long. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very predictable result. And so I think Daniel's point is really right. If we're getting data from a device that's telling us, hey, your sleep is lousy, your HRV is low, your, your respiratory rate's elevated, you should do something about that. What are you going to do? Could you meditate? For sure. Would I choose that as an option? I wouldn't, because I don't really know what's gonna happen. It's very possible that I'm gonna sit down and spend 15 minutes ruminating 
about my relationship with my teenage daughter, which is kind of stressful right now. And it might do nothing. <laughs> it might do, in fact, it might make it a little bit worse, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, whereas with, with breathing, it's just a much more crude lever that you're pulling. It's more direct. More, it's more direct. Yeah. 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 I would totally agree with Very you. Very interesting. Yeah. I think maybe, 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 maybe meditation is, is less for everybody or is step two. Like, it, I, I completely agree that it could make things sometimes worse because you think you're you're not doing anything and you start thinking more versus breathing will always have most of the time have some sort of impact uh, so yeah I, I agree it's very yeah interesting uh well, there's a future for breathing and I would love to see breathing as being the foundation and then for people to bring in awareness yeah because yeah I think it's really you know, in the yoga tradition, it's always presented this way. Breathing is always presented before any kind of mindfulness, any kind of meditation practice. And I think there's some intelligence to that. You know, it's, it's one thing to say you're mindfully gardening, but are you really like, probably you're just like me, you're out there trying to do some gardening and you're mostly just thinking about head trash, spinning <laughs> garbage. And um, that doesn't mean that trying to be mindful gardening is not a good practice, but probably on any given Thursday, we're not really up for that. We probably need a little bit more of a crude tool. And the evidence that I have of that is when I look around at people's behavior, they are grabbing crude tools all the time in the form of processed food, video games, binge watching Netflix, Hagen dazs These are all nervous system modulators. It's not a big mystery why they're doing it. It makes you feel better. It self-soothes. It calms you down. And breathing can do the same. And it's, it's, as predictable sometimes it's even faster sometimes it's even faster so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have one uh, final question lucas for you i think going back to uh, how you get this more you know mainstream is through school kids sure and also very very important but maybe more difficult because you have to keep it fun also have to keep it fun for adults but yeah i think that is that is how you kind of really change it that's a game changer but what's your what's your take on that and also how, how would you do with kids because they're they're a little different they don't they don't look at it the same way we do yeah so i i break it down i call kids 12 and under and then young adults 13 and up and my thing with young adults 13 and up is they can do everything adults can do they're just going to be a little bit more difficult with attention and things like this and so kids, kids is a different challenge. And I don't have any amazing insight. I have a pile of kids at home, but I, I feel really confident with my own kids. I'm not super confident in other settings. I get the question a lot. I mean, we teach a basic balancing practice like hot chocolate breath, which, um, you know, you have a kid, imagine they have a cup of hot chocolate and they smell the hot chocolate, you know. So we're doing a nasal inhale and then we usually do a mouth exhale. And unfortunately, we can usually only get three rounds, but it's something, you know, it's yeah. something. And, um, you know, kids are a little less shy about using emotional management tools. At least that's been my experience. You know, a, a young, you know, I have a three-year-old, he'll cry, I don't know how many times today, 15 times. And so, you know, the, their, their emotions are a lot more out there. And so that my experience has been up to a certain age. Kids are pretty comfortable just being, I'm all wound up. Let me do some breathing, you know, whereas the, the, the teenagers might kind of pack it down and stuff it down. But aside from like hot chocolate breathing and things like that, I don't have any amazing insight with 
children, which is a shame. If there was somebody to do it, I, I have plenty of plenty of test cases, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I, I think I think you're right because this is a practice, unlike meditation, unlike other stuff, which has all this loaded religious connotation. It's never going to get fully integrated into schools. Something like breathing is so secular and so science based that it really should be integrated into schools, whether that's a pre-test prep concentration practice. Yeah. It can be simple. Something as simple as five rounds of breathing can really you know, make a shift in terms of people's focus and nervous system state. I, I think that's the, like, just to finish off the bottom layer, if you're focused, mm. your ability to learn math, English, or whatever increases. Sure. But if you're not focused, you're kind of just, you're, you're kind of knocking on a closed door. Yeah. So I think this needs to get in for, for health primarily, but also for, to learn more. So yeah. I, but you won't get it from people who didn't have the same you know, didn't go through school uh, having breath work. So I think this will be uh, uh, the next generation. You have to bring into school and they have to grow up and then bring it more into school. So I think it's for focus and health. So I think it's very, very important. But I think that will take a long time, to be honest. Um, Another 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But but thank you. I'm, we're conscious of your time, Lucas, here. So that was my final question, unless you have something more. Patrick. Oh, I think it's been a pleasure. Lucas, thanks yeah. very much um, yeah. for, for having the to chat. Yeah, and really great answers. There's a lot of commonalities there. Um, I would agree with you. It's just so much of a potential in getting breathing out there. And yeah. we're all part of this journey, so it, it's good. It's happening. It's slow, but there seems to be a momentum building. So that's really what it's about. And I think it's going to happen as long as people are authentic. And that people do put out breathing exercises and have an understanding of the physiology and the science and the basic information behind it, mm. and not just putting out breathing exercises on the basis of something that they don't fully understand what's going on behind it. Mm. Then we've got a future and it's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure. Um, thanks very much. So, Thank you so much, Lucas. myself and Daniel, all the best. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having on. I appreciate your work. Your, your book is on our reading list for all of our courses. So a lot of our students really uh, get a lot from your work. And I look forward to continuing to follow what you're up to. Great stuff. Which book is it, by the way? Well, you know, people usually pick up Oxygen Advantage, but yeah, um, it's a more popular one. Yeah. yeah There's yeah. one, The Breathing Cure, now because I was hoping yeah, to. I've got it over there. To put a little bit of the science and trying to move away what we were talking about. Yeah. That breathing is seen too left too left to feel but show right. that it's it's got that foundation you know so yeah yeah great stuff and many thanks so we'll close it at that Take thanks care, guys, guys. Take Bye. Care. Bye -bye. see ya